Welcome to Antimatter Pod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext, and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. Today, we are discussing Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Season 2, Episode 5, Charades. Annika, how does it feel to be right about absolutely everything? (laughs) That's my chaos powers at work, baby. It's amazing. (laughs) Back when we were talking about the broken circle, you said, oh, Spock is acting this way because he is basically going through adolescence. And then this episode takes that subtext and makes it text. Text. (laughs) Then it takes the subtext of the title, charades, and also makes it text. And I'm like, text. guys, you didn't need to go there. Like, we, we did understand what the title was about. But you're insight into Spock's character up until now is amazing and this episode felt like a gift to you specifically. It it absolutely is a gift to me specifically. I do not know. I'm confused Mm. (laughs) about this entire year of Star Trek. I don't understand exactly what's going on. It just all feels very poignant Mm. and directed explicitly at me. You know what? You deserve it. It's Star Trek for me. <laughs> it's so funny because I'm constantly talking about how nothing I love is actually made for me. Right. But that's okay because I can still find value in it. And mm. so it's just wild that now things are specifically targeting the things that I find value in you know, mm-hmm. without putting any effort in <laughs> the things that I just already like. I think you deserve it. It's a gift and it's giving rise to some really interesting stuff. I have nitpicks about this episode. I have a very big problem with something towards the end, but overall I really enjoyed it. I understand why critic Mo Ryan says it's her favourite of the season. And it seems like Strange New Worlds is settling into a pattern of episode five means Spock hijinks. Which I applaud. That's a good streak. Keep with it. I um, rewatched this episode this morning because we're recording a week later. And I came home from work. I get half days on Fridays during Mm. the summer. And I came home from work and I was like, what if we watch it a third time? Like, it just makes me so happy. And I'm sitting there, like, I know exactly which shots I'm going to use in fan vids. Like, <laughs> I can't wait for the gift sets. I am just so excited mm-hmm. for taking this beautiful work of art and turning it into more art. And I have fake ideas. Like, you don't understand. There's so much in this tiny Spock hijinks, family drama, like nothing important happens in this episode. (laughs) They're literally taking it slow on purpose so that nothing important can happen. Like that's the Mm. whole premise of the mission. And it's amazing. It feels like they've heard the people who complain about the lack of filler episodes in short seasons. And I am not one of those people. I do not miss filler episodes, but I also don't hate taking some time out to 
hang out with these people. Filler episode to me actually means we have too many episodes mm. to tell the story you want to tell. And so we're just going to have a side quest, yeah. you know, a random thing that isn't important. Uh, you know, I can go either way on that. I would say that character building episodes mm. is what I think that we really miss from the shorter seasons. And I don't think that you don't have to, that you can actually have character building in other episodes and you can have episodes that are focused on character that mm. still progress the plot. Things happened in this episode that are a part, like thematically, this episode is absolutely a part of all of the episodes we've seen so far. I was about to say, this doesn't feel like a filler episode, however you define that, because it is so thematically on point. And I've been saying that the theme for this season is aliens hiding among humans. And you've sort of taken that and gone, it's about identity. And I think that's accurate. But this episode does feature Amanda hiding in plain sight on Vulcan, mm. which is sort of the inverse, you know, a subversion or yeah, of your theme. And so I do think that it still fits in under that, just that uh, smaller umbrella. But I think if you look and see what has been happening in all of these episodes, there's been a lot of discussion of genetics yes. and how that relates to identity. Like, family and upbringing and how that relates to identity, your timeline and your memories, which are the same but different because a timeline is from birth to adolescence, you know, graduate from college or whatever, get married and eventually die, whereas memories sort of fit in in all of those places. And sometimes you remember your childhood very strongly and sometimes you remember bad things and sometimes you remember mm. good things and you're building new memories when you're doing new things so they're a little bit different yeah and then the hidden identities that you put a pin on mm -hmm. right away and then as we said the idea of adolescence specifically for Spock although I do think that we've been touching on how like Una's you know, how Una grew up and how she's the same and different from when she and Nera were basically tweens and how, you know, how that's changed and how they've stayed the same and mm. how they came back together. But Spock is explicitly going through adolescence and a human adolescence, mm. which is fun for Spock, <laughs> but is also like, so adolescence is... The, the second highest change over in your brain. Mm. The first highest change over in your brain is like when you're an infant. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because you're literally speaking in everything in the world and none of it existed before then. So that's your biggest brain growth is a baby. But adolescence is the second. Yeah. And adolescence really cements your identity because your brain decides what it wants to pay attention to, what it wants to put effort into remembering, and what it decides is not important. Yeah. And it's really, really hard, you know, once you've passed that, Picard says 25, but I say 27 to 29 mm -hmm. age, where your brain stops going through adolescent growth, it's very, very difficult to change those pathways after that. It, it, it can mm -hmm. be done, but it requires strict actual reprogramming of your brain 
and it gets harder as you so the mm-hmm. we say oh you're an adult when you're 18 and that's ridiculous but it is true that an 18 year old is a much more mature brain than yeah. a 12 year old yeah. but then a 28 year old is a much more mature brain than an 18 year old however a 38 year old or a 48 year old or a 50 year old there's not that much difference right and so Spock is an adult, but sort of going through this, A, we don't know how Vulcan adolescence works. It seems fair to assume that even though he is fully an adult in terms of his physical and emotional and sexual development, and for example, his ability to consent, like I don't want to say this is one of those situations like with Kess where people are going, oh, she's a literal child. And it's like, guys, she's a literal adult, you know. But clearly it works differently for Vulcans and he is going through that stage of Vulcan development and then his Vulcanosity is stripped away from him and he becomes human and apparently the bowl cut is a genetic trait because his hair is different. I have questions. It's amazing. I mean, it could also be that the Jacobians were like, that looks bad. Mm, mm. We're, we're going to fix that. One thing that jumped out at me is that this race lived a hop, skip and a jump from Vulcan. So as if the Vulcan High Command hasn't been investigating it down to the last molecule for as long as they've had space travel, which is millennia. And so I have to assume that the Jacovians, I cannot remember what they were called, but I have to assume that they were hiding from the Vulcans because they don't like them and they are also mm-hmm. super racist. I mean, the Jacobians are hilarious. They're terrible. They reminded me of the good place, good guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just like nonsensical bureaucracy mm. and never do anything. But they were hilarious. Everything about Jacobians was funny. Out of the godlike advanced species that populate the TOS era, they're definitely in that line, but sort of a, yes. a post, I'd say a postmodern contemporary take, which is obviously yes. great. And they're terrible. <laughs> they're just the they're worst. So, I mean, t- to be fair, they're not as bad as Vulcans, but they're almost as bad as Vulcans. I think a fun question for nerds, which is obviously not us, is how much did they influence Vulcan culture? Ooh, mm. interesting. Interesting. Mm. I like it. We could get Christine Chapel to write a paper on that. Yes. Oh, gosh. One of my notes here is, oh, no, Corby. So obviously the fact that he doesn't turn up is a big relief, but he's still out there waiting. Still out there. The shoe. (laughs) You're waiting for the second shoe to drop. And I'm like, no, just stay up there, shoe. Stay up there forever. I I don't want to give any more time to that guy. I understand that Spock and Christine are going to break up. This is not going to work out in... A traditional linear sense but at the same time Corby is just terrible so it's like Christine no I want to protect you we're not going to give him any more time or space okay I'd rather talk about the terrible Vulcans so where do you want to start do you want to start with I feel like we should cover the terrible Vulcans as like a, as a, a baseline, a baseline, a foundation of the terrible Vulcans, and then yes, we can build everything yes. up on top of it. Okay. First of all, I love an awkward dinner party in space. This is like my number one favorite trope. So the fact that this is an intrinsic part of the Vulcan courtship uh, ritual, amazing. 
I'm so happy. That is exactly for me. I worry that this episode is a one hour long mother-in-law joke. <laughs> it really is. But also, I used to spend a lot of time on the Just No Mill subreddit, which is for mother-in-law stories. So, like, I'm into that. And I extremely love to Pring's family, while also thinking that they are a massive racist stereotype. <laughs> yes. <laughs> My issue is not as much the let's make fun of mother-in-laws, which mm. is at least a group of people, not like a class or a race or yeah, a, yeah. an identity. I don't like that T'Pring's mother is a tiger mom mm. of the highest degree. Mm. And it's even in an episode where intellectualism is prized. Yeah ahead of all else. So even if she's not the same as terrible academic Vulcan, they're cut from the same cloth, as are all of the moms who shunned Amanda for, uh, I guess, 30-something years. Great. Yes. Great. Just love that for her. And then the dim-witted dad who just lets mm. the mom get away with everything and poor to pring who I'm really, really glad that we they introduced her before this episode. Yes. Because she is pushed into a little stereotypical box in this episode, mm -hmm. but we know that that's not who she really is. And she sort of climbs out, especially in that last scene we saw. <laughs> My beef with T'Pring's family, like you use the term tiger mom, which was coined by an East Asian woman as sort of the pushing... Chinese mother and so it's a very East Asian stereotype but there is also a stereotype of the South Asian mother who is unloving and has no maternal instinct and then the abusive South Asian mother-in-law and the emasculated desexualized South Asian man and I'm like guys you actually did not have to go there. These tropes make perfect sense for Vulcans and as part of what is effectively a Vulcan comedy of manners, I think they really work. But here in the real world, where right. ethnic stereotypes do harm, we don't have and to go there. And it's also hearkening back to the idea that the Vulcans were originally created as an Asian stereotype. Yes. Which we don't want to be reminded of. No. It would be better to not do that. Guys, have you tried being less racist? So yeah, everything about Tiffring's family is great. They're all really good at comedic timing. Mm. It's like a little play mm. in Pike's quarters there. Just the way everything works out. Everything is so tight because they're like stuck in, in this one mm. space and they're usually like sitting on the sofa and there's only a, a little like box of area and there's these very regimented rules about everything that you're doing. So it's really fun. And mm. I just wish that they had done uh, things a little bit differently to make it less leaning into these tropes and stereotypes that exist yeah. in the Western media. Right, yes. As opposed to Eastern media that maybe they understand their rituals <laughs> and, and don't make fun of them. I mean, it's a guess. <laughs> No, I think that's fair. I think that, honestly, the multi-day elaborate set of rituals leading up to a wedding feels kind of like a joke at the expense of Hinduism. 
I've been to those weddings, though. Those yeah. were great. Oh, yeah. I love a Hindu wedding. I love a Hindu wedding. I got to, like, sleep outside as part of one. It was amazing. I don't know how long it was, but I was there for two days. And the ceremony, it's like the family ceremony, took place in one little space that the rest of us weren't invited to. Mm. Like, that was their private part of the ceremony and I was like so jealous I wanted to like sneak in my dad was like no (laughs) (laughs) which good that's good good dad (laughs) it's it's just a a beautiful representation of you know joining your families together and then you like there's just food for days Mm. like you're constantly eating and there's games going on and there's music and dancing and it's a lot more fun than like doing the Macarena. <laughs> Just saying. In Australia, even at a Hindu wedding. In Australia, no, I- even at a Hindu wedding, we put on Tina Turner and do the Nutbush. Okay. That is our custom. Uh, That's fair. <laughs> but I, I guess my feeling is that we have these really exotic rituals like a tea ceremony. That's a real thing. My daughter, who is yeah, very white, yeah. she is taking classes in tea mm. ceremonies mm. because it's cool. Uh, it's not something to make fun of. Right. And it just feels like an outsider's perspective all the way down. And we know Vulcans love their tea. It's really cool that there is like a family blend that you have to replicate and get it right. I just feel like the world building did not do enough to distinguish itself from actual human cultures. It needed to be a a little more alien. Yeah, yeah. Because it started to feel like we're making fun of human cultures. And also, especially because the whole point of T'Pring's family is that Mm. they look down on Spock and Amanda for being human. Right. And so if their version of non-human, of Vulcan, Mm. can like, if you squint a little, can be seen as human somewhere, Mm -hmm. it's not working. There's something missing. Yeah. And, okay, my delight at seeing Amanda was absolute so much. I was so happy that she, that she and Sarek were mentioned and then she turned up and I was like, I love it. I am so happy. Mia Kirshner looked like she was pregnant and I'm like, is Amanda having another baby? I, I did some Googling and there was like speculation around the time that this was being filmed in early 2022, but it could also be that like many of us, she gained some COVID weight. So who knows? I mean, she looks great because she was wearing amazing amazing clothes yeah and doing the virgin mary blue thing again exactly as she did in season two of discovery i should add to my amanda okay so yeah i mean i love amanda as a character and i love the sarek spock amanda Mm. family like Mm. everything just they're wonderful there's so much drama drama Mm. forever and then you do over baby Adding Tipring and her family into the mix. Mm. Like, imagine if Sarek was there. (laughs) (laughs) Sarek would be like, I understand it is not traditional, but I would also like to roast my son. She did fine. She did fine for him. I was like, man, if Tipril didn't hate Sarek and everything he stands for, they would be best buds. 
Right. They're completely on the same side. And yet. I mean, Vulcan racism is a hell of a drug. But I think this is sort of the first time we've had a really good look at Amanda's perspective on her marriage. Mm. And I think that's Mm -hmm. what makes this episode really stand out for me. Her isolation, her loneliness, her learning to hide her humanness. Her learning to hide her human pain. Yes. Like, let's be explicit here. That was heartbreaking for me. The idea that not only does she have to just take whatever any Vulcan throws at her, she can't even express it. Mm. She probably doesn't even express it at home. At best, she would express it the way Spock does in this episode where he goes to the bathroom and screams into a pillow. Yes. Which, relatable. Oh, yeah. And also, with my (laughs) (laughs) in-laws. That bit was highly gifable, as was much of this episode. And Amanda absolutely has a screaming pillow. Exactly. But she's not going to, like, throw her emotions at Sarek. Maybe every ten years. (laughs) (laughs) She has a... She has a day where she's like, you're going to listen to everything I've been putting up with because of you. Mm. And it's interesting that they choose to live on Vulcan. You know, I understand that maybe they wanted Spock to be raised there, but they are still living on Vulcan and dealing constantly with Vulcan nonsense. And Sarek is an ambassador. He could have his pick of embassies within or without the Federation. So clearly, to some extent, this is something that Amanda has chosen, and I don't want to deny her that agency, but I think it's Mm -hmm. interesting that, much like Spock choosing to be as Vulcan as possible, she is making a choice that hurts her. Yeah, and it almost feels like it's for the same reasons. Mm. That she's being stubborn and prideful as much as Sarek is and as much as Spock is. Absolutely. Amanda strikes me as someone who the very second she found out about these rituals that she would have to go through to marry Sarek, she was like, I am going to get an A in Vulcan, a thing which is both reasonable and possible to achieve. Right. Man. Mm. Right that thick. Oh, yeah. But then we see her relationship with T'Pring and it is so respectful and supportive and the opposite of a mother-in-law joke, which makes me really sad that T'Pring doesn't actually marry Spock. And I really hope that T'Pring and Amanda's relationship continues after the end of their relationship. Yeah, the fact that Amanda is called out for not doing the ceremony correctly mm. and she's like, I'm just going to be kind, that's, that's who mm. I am. If kindness is a weakness, oh well. But also your daughter is amazing and I have no complaints. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's incredible. And I mean, T'Pring is let down by everyone in her life mm-hmm. in this episode, other than maybe Amanda. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah I agree with you that I, I hope that, I mean, I hope that T'Pring's mother gets over herself, mm-hmm. but I hope that T'Pring has someone who is in her corner. Scared. Sure. In her corner. Mm. Because we've only heard the word Stan. We haven't mm. actually met Stan yet. And what I, I mean, I really want Stan to be like someone who puts 
to praying first in every way and is mm-hmm. is very devoted to, to praying, but that's not necessarily the impression I get from a mock time. And mm-hmm. you can also imagine that to praying is just like, this guy's easier. I at least don't have to fight my parents over this guy. I have this terrible theory that we're going to learn that to bring Mary Ston to please her mother. Ugh. No, I know. I hate it. I want Ston to be a Vulcan wife guy. I want him to yes. be like, logic dictates I support my wife to the end At of all the universe. Times. Yeah. And wherever she wants to live, we're going to go there. And whatever she wants to do, we're going to do that. Without emasculating him or making him a joke like Dupring's father. But I want her to have a relationship of equals and with Dupring's someone... Dupring's father isn't a wife guy. He is a yes man. He just gives up his entire... <laughs> Mm. opinion mm. based on what she says which is you know we only get this we've only seen this on an episode he has like six lines yes. <laughs> he's not super important to the plot he's a joke which is you know we discussed that mm. so he's a good joke he's entertaining mm. and mm. you know Sarah and amanda were introduced in, the, in one episode and then entire lives were changed by people who <laughs> decided that they were going to fill in all the blanks mm. of Sarah and Amanda and their relationship and how that all worked. And so I can believe that, you know, someone is going to make these two people into fully fledged mm. three-dimensional characters with their own points of view that are not the butt of a joke and are you know, let's give some context. Mm. How did this happen? Why are they so against humans? How did they decide that, sure, let's betroth our daughter to the Vulcan-human hybrid? Like, none of it makes sense. No. There was like a throwaway line about it was a good political arrangement. And I just, that's not a good reason, guys. Like, if you're... (laughs) A Republican, a hardcore Republican, you're not going to encourage your daughter to marry the nice trans boy who's the son of the Democratic president. Exactly. It just wouldn't happen. Yeah. And I get no impression that Sarah has political power on Vulcan. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah might have political power in the Federation, mm. but no one likes him on Vulcan. People are constantly trying to kill him. But he is in some way related to Tapau. That's true. He is in some way related to Tapau. I feel like even a half-human re- relative of Tapau is a get for your daughter, if you're a certain conservative type of Vulcan. Once again, Vulcans are the worst. Yes. I love them, but I love them because they're the worst. And the heartbreaking thing is that Spock and T'Pring genuinely like each other. I just... Ultimately, as we see here, the problem in their relationship is that Spock doesn't prioritise her. He prioritises rituals and Vulcan nonsense and Starfleet over to Pring. And she is right to break up with him. She's absolutely right to break up with him. But it's interesting to me, and she even says it, that his reasoning was... Because he, he and Pike discussed it, that he mm. was going to tell her. Yeah, that yeah. was the plan. But she was so annoyed about Mm. the whole situation and she was upset and so he decided that he would spare her the extra stress which yeah absolutely from her her perspective means he doesn't trust her which Mm. is true 
But from his perspective, it was a very human decision to spare her feelings. Yes. And, yes. You know, it, we, it comes back to, it was amazing to me when mm-hmm. Amanda said, I'm going to teach you how to be human. Mm-hmm. I'm going to teach you to lie. <laughs> like, that's it. That's what it is to be human. Mm-hmm. So the fact that Spock lies to spare to Pring's feelings mm-hmm. is 100% part of that like he learned his lesson yes <laughs> she did well she taught him how to be human it, it was to not human to a vulcan and that's not what she wants or needs no to doesn't want to be protected in that way to wants to walk into a room fully armed with all the facts and i do feel like in the parlance of another subreddit i love there are no assholes here because Spock was acting out of concern for her and to bring is completely yeah. reasonable to be angry about the way he did so. But he did make the wrong call and the consequence is that to has put the brakes on their relationship. And But Yes. <laughs> that opens the door <laughs> for the best relationship ever. <laughs> My note here regarding the Spock Christine romance is oh god dude be single don't be taylor swift fair i would also say don't be jim kirk because you've mentioned before that kirk has a reputation as a fuck boy yeah wrong kirk is a serial monogamous yes he just leaps from relationship to relationship because that's what he wants Mm. and yeah sure That would be, like, healthy, I guess. Probably. I don't want that. (laughs) I was so... Okay, so she comes with the vitamins, the Mm -hmm. cure, and they go off into the room, and they have this cute little awkward, you know, we're both feeling these feelings, and we're sort of in a place where we can discuss them because of this weird circumstance, but now I'm going to, like, delete that weird Mm -hmm. circumstance, and we're going to go back to our weird can't really talk to each other reality that we're stuck in right now and I was so sad I know because he was gonna say you know he was like before you take away my ability to express my emotions I want to express my emotions and she was like no jam into that that hyperspray and I thought that was gonna be the last time we saw Christine in the episode yes I was so and then they have this scene at the end where it was so beautiful. And again, when he goes to the door and he opens the door and she's there, like that was the thing where I was like, I wrote, I wrote down the time. So like, like this is <laughs> in my, this is how I'm starting my bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was so perfect because her expression and his expression and the way that he walks back to let her into his quarters and the way they have that conversation again, they have the mm-hmm. same conversation mm-hmm. that they had earlier but now he's he's all Vulcan about it. But they take the leap. Mm-hmm. They take the leap that I agree with you is unhealthy. And we all know is doomed. But mm-hmm. I don't care. Mm-hmm. It's perfect. I, I love them. I will love them forever. My wish is that we had strung out the unresolved sexual tension a bit longer. We can't because there's only 10 episodes. No, I know. But what if they didn't get together until the finale or just before? I, I wanted to see them flirt a little more without the burden of him being in a relationship with someone else and it occurred to me this show doesn't really do ust like you're either single 
or you're in a relationship. I know that last episode, I complained that every episode had romance in it. Yes. I take it back. Oh, I, oh. I was like, oh, if we're going to like just go there the whole way, fine. Mm. <laughs> Let's do it. And to your, again, I, I, I agree everything is fast. I agree that everything is sped up in our new modern television. Mm. My brother was complaining about this on Facebook today that every episode of every show is a sweeps week episode. Yes. Uh, and it's exhausting. And that's true. But that's, you just have to look at the strikes going on, mm. the whole situation with Prodigy and Willow on Disney Plus mm. and mm. everything on HBO Max. We get one shot and we're going to take it and we're going right. to cram as much in. I completely yeah. understand the reasons <laughs> for it. I just wish it wasn't the case. I'm just going to keep screaming into the void. I'm going to be me for a mm -hmm. minute and make it all make sense for the characters. Thank you. It's also true for Spock and Christine. They both know they're doomed. That is so <laughs> like, true. They both know this is their one chance and they're going to take the shot because it, they're they're not going to have it forever. Mm. It's it's not going to work out. <laughs> There's like Spock literally just talked to his mom and saw that she is miserable. <laughs> 90% of the time. And the only reason she stays there is for Sarek. Mm. And he hates his death. <laughs> so he's like, why would anyone choose to mm. be with Sarek when they're only happy 10% of the time? And so... Someone is going to have to break it to Spock that his dad must be amazing in bed. That's the only explanation. I, I definitely think that... They are happy more than 10% of the time, and this is a choice that Amanda makes, and she can live with it. She is more content than not, but also Sarek Fox. I think that she's happy when it's about them. And I think that that's going to be true for Spock and Christine, too. Yeah, yeah. But when the rest of the world interferes, mm. when the mean Vulcans show up, mm. it gets in the way of Amanda's happiness. And frankly, there's probably mean humans, too. Yeah, yeah. Maybe they live on Vulcan because when they were on Earth, it, they it were terrible worse. and, and it yeah. was super racist to, to Sarek. And he's not strong enough <laughs> to deal with it. Very possible in my <laughs> No, I can absolutely see that. Because also, I think it's, I don't know if it's canon or, I definitely have it in my mind that while Sarek was on Earth, like he was basically an outcast to his family. I don't know if that's canon, but it rings true. And we certainly see how Vulcans reacted when T'Pol became more involved in human culture. Right. And I right. feel like T'Pol's ghost really lingers over this whole episode, right it down does. to renewing the canon bit that Vulcans have a very sensitive nose. Smell. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Though I'm like, Spock, is it your nasal inhibitors or do you just have COVID? So I look at Spock... And he just experienced human emotions. Mm. And as he says many times, but specifically in this episode, Vulcan emotions are stronger. Mm. And so he had all these human emotions with Christine. And then he got his Vulcan emotions back and he's like, they are very real. <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're not going away. I was crying four episodes ago. This is something that I have to deal with mm. and and I'm just if I'm just gonna do it I'm just yeah. gonna do it I'm gonna take the leap that my mother would my mother did take mm. 
And I'm going to take the leap now because I can see the future and it doesn't look super happy. <laughs> so let's just see what happens. And from Christine, we know from the first season that Christine doesn't do relationships, that mm -hmm. she doesn't like things to be a relationship. And so I think this she's having real feelings for Spock. She usually avoids feelings at all costs. Mm -hmm. And she's having real feelings for Spock, and they've been around for a while now. Yeah. And aliens just yelled at me for not <laughs> for not admitting to my feelings for Spock. I should just do it. Yes. These are two chaotic bisexuals who are very reluctantly in love. They're not happy exactly. about it, but they can't Perfect. seem to avoid it. Perfect encapsulation. <laughs> I want to call out the aliens for this whole friendship doesn't count, this connection has to be romantic to matter. Yeah. Because, like, okay, guys, whatevs. And then the episode really doesn't push back on that because it's Christine, so she can go, oh, well, actually, I do have these romantic feelings. And I'm so mad. Like, not to the point of, like, throwing the whole episode out the window, but Star Trek as a franchise has always been extremely ace-phobic and there is less excuse for it in 2023 than there was in for example 1998 so I just wish that you know Christine had pushed back on that romance only counts assumption and her romantic feelings had been more subtextual she tried and Uhura and Ortegas were like just admit it <laughs> so that we yeah, can get out yeah. of here yeah. And I, from their perspective, I sort of understand that. They were like, this is a horrible situation mm. we're in right here. Can you just admit your feelings for Spock so we can move on? Mm. Like, so. I, I feel like the episode itself set up a situation yes. where you can't push back on that. And that is what annoys me. Right. Uh, yeah. That I agree with that. The characters were doing their part. It was the, yeah. Yeah. It was the setup. And not to be me, but if you say that, mm. like, what if it was a TOS episode and it was Kirk. Right. If this was Kirk, he would absolutely make what are you gonna a passion speech. Are you going to admit are you going to admit mm. to shipping mm. or are you going to or are you going to let Kirk make the speech? Yeah. It, it's one of those things where it's like if you change the people around, you're like this is mm. what you're actually saying Star Trek. Is that what you want to be saying Star Trek? I'm not sure you want to be saying that Star Trek. I mean, if Star Trek wants to say that Kirk is secretly in love with Spock, I am totally on board. I just don't think they've thought about it. My refrain with the whole of Strange New Worlds, I don't think they thought about it that much. <laughs> right. So let's talk about the scene with the aliens. And the whole, let's, let's talk about Uhura, mm. Ortegas and Chapel going on a secret mission to get Spock's vitamins. I, I did not hate <laughs> Ortegas this week. Yeah, I was going to say nice things about Ortega. Yes. <laughs> that one in the earlier scene with Christine Laan and Ortegas, mm -hmm. and Laan was like, I don't understand why you're not, you know, working with Spock on this. And Ortegas was like, mm, <laughs> don't go there. But, so that way it was clear that Ortegas, you know, knows Christine enough to know what's going on. Mm -hmm. Potentially even they had a discussion, <laughs> which would be great. We're great for everybody, really. There is a remote possibility <laughs> that they might be friends. Oh my goodness. But then later, and I do want to talk about the shuttle, but later on the planet, when Christine was trying to explain her feelings for Spock, and 
she asked them to turn around, which is <laughs> so funny. That was almost the first time that I saw Majel Barrett Chapel in this character. Mm, yeah. I was like, that is what Majel Barrett Chapel would do. But he has them turn around and she starts talking and Ortegas turns around first before Hora does and has this like look of, I know how hard this is and I'm proud of you mm. <laughs> and I'm sorry that you're stuck in this terrible situation because you know, I care about you and your mm. feelings. And again, I'm reading a lot into one expression. It felt very meaningful yes. uh, that, that she turned around first, that she had that connection from the earlier scene that they did appear to be friends yeah, in this yeah. episode. And uh, as much as Chapel is also close with Uhura and also mm. close with Mbenga and also close with, you know, even mm. La'an was in their little group and obviously as close to Spock, there was a, a particular connection with Ortegas. Mm. Fifth episodes mean Spock hijinks and also Chapel and Ortegas are friends. <laughs> Apparently, yes. <laughs> I should double check to see if this had the same writer as Spock Amok. <laughs> but I did also enjoy the shuttle craft yes. <laughs> scene where Ortegas was put in the position of being the rational person and was just like, nah. Hmm, no. I feel like <laughs> in that moment, I liked Ortegas so much. That was a really good, mm. fun moment. Yeah. I liked that they were like, at the table, you know, drinking mm. when they made the decision to go. Yes. Like, or even says, can we get this to go? And I was like, oh, they're a little bit drunk when they go in their little road trip. Mm. And then they get in this, like, life or death situation <laughs> that they know really screwed Spock up. <laughs> and they're just going to go do it. Oh, well, we're going we're gonna to try it out. But they're all in. And that's yeah. the kind of friend you want. Actually, I'm going to not withdraw, but dilute my earlier criticisms. I feel like maybe what they're saying on the page is more pro-romance than pro-friendship, but Ortegas and Uhura's actions are just pure friendship right. all the way down. Exactly. Mm. They're like ride or die. Yeah. We're going to yeah. go do this. We're going to go do this for Spock and we're going to go do this for Christine. Yeah. My little starship, friendship is magic. <laughs> That's adorable. Yes. Now I draw them as ponies. I can't because I have to draw Tapril sitting on the edge of the arena in a mock time with her popcorn and her foam hand. <laughs> okay. We are very serious podcasters. They were great. Clearly. I also enjoyed. The montages of Spock socialising. Oh my gosh. So I said that this episode was very gifable. Spock eating the bacon is a gif that I am going to use very frequently. My note is, buddy, you're vegetarian. But nevertheless. <laughs> Maybe it was faken. Nothing in Pike's gigantic palatial quarters mm. that include a full kitchen and a bathroom to die for <laughs> is is fake that is he, he was obsessed with his like real herbs so yeah that's a real pig 
So Spock ate pork and I, I'm sure he felt bad about it afterwards. He's vegetarian and Jewish. Why is he eating the pork? Poor boy. He didn't know. He'd never had the opportunity before. Oh. He'd never smelled it before. Oh my god. And gosh. I've watched enough cooking shows mm. to know that people put bacon in many things just for the that smell. crispy salt oh, yeah. and the smell mm. that makes you want to eat it. Mm. Yeah. My flatmate makes a really good vegetarian bacon with temper and liquid smoke and a little bit of soy sauce. Anyway, I loved that montage. Uh, Sam Kirk, why is he the worst? <laughs> he wants to be a Vulcan, I guess, except he would be really bad at it. He's, <laughs> like, I legitimately do not understand why Sam Kirk is being written to be so unlikable. I know! Every appearance of Sam Kirk thus far, he's been at best mediocre. And usually actively awful. Yeah. (laughs) Like just terrible (laughs) and completely unlikable. I (sighs) don't like him. I was on Spock's side. (laughs) If I'm at a meeting and there are snacks, I am so careful not to get crumbs everywhere because I am a grown up. And then I clean up after myself because again, grown up. Yes, and I completely agree with that, but I also, like, why I'm on Spock's side is that mm-hmm. I am 100% the person who can't handle the mess on the table and goes and cleans up everybody else Yep. as if it's my job and it is not my job. <laughs> but I absolutely would rather clean up for people mm. that I don't like than sit with their mess. Mm-hmm. I can't do it. <laughs> So Spock, 100%. Kirk, zero. The bit where Spock has to be restrained from attacking Sam was very relatable. Exactly. I don't get it. Last, he was the, the, like, he was yelling at Spock for not having enough emotions. Yeah. Well, how'd that go for you, Sam? How did that go? I was bad. That was, like, so no. Sam Kirk, bad. And a couple of weeks ago, we had AU Jim Kirk willing to give up his entire reality because his brother is alive in this one. Was it worth it? Why? I mean, I guess Jim sees something worthwhile in him. And to be I fair, mean, they're when, brothers, I guess. when La'an calls on him, he immediately thinks that Sam's done something bad. Mm. So clearly he knows his brother well. Yeah. Because Sam is always doing things that are bad. But they're not even terrible. They're just annoying. Annoying. (laughs) Like, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Sam Kirk is relentlessly mediocre. Dr. House, right, is a character that is annoying. Like, he's an asshole on purpose all the time. Mm. He, He constantly does things that are made specifically to bother the audience and yet you like him because he also has all these good qualities and you see all the people that interact with him and how he gets along Mm. with them and they bring Mm. out the best in him and and he brings out the best in them and there's like this stuff you know and so you're like oh look he's a good guy after all he's 
he's an asshole, but I still like him. He's a jerk, but I like him. He's not unlikable. Sam Kirk is boring or unlikable. There's no good. I don't understand. Why? Why is he like this? Why do you introduce that character and then do this? And the worst bit is, we can't kill him off. We know he has to live through to the TOS era. He's married. Oh, God. That poor Someone woman. marries him. Why? I don't get it. I just... I have seen next episode and I wish it would change my mind. No. They tried. They make an attempt. Mm. He's, he's mm. still unlikable. Mm. Well, before we get into breaking the embargo on next week's episode, let's right. move on. Okay. Where is Katrina Cornwell right now? So I'm going to go on a, on a, a fun romp. Okay. And I'm going to say, so you know how I shift Katrina Cornwell and Sarah? Yes. And you know how I have this theory that it's stupid for Vulcans to be completely monogamous mm. because they have urges that require them to mm. copulate. Yeah. And therefore they should have backups. Yes. So with Amanda's full permission, mm. Katrina Cornwell is back on Vulcan keeping Sarah company so that he is not fuming about this important Vulcan ceremony going on without him. Right. <laughs> Sarek is like, someone, somewhere is giving my son shit and I am not there to help. And Kat's like, they're there. Last week, I said that Katrina was at T'Pring and Ston's rehabilitation spa, Mira Katrina, learning to be a person. And I think she's still there, but she's also using her evil psychiatry skills to provide a little therapy to T'Pring, which is in part, you don't have to internalize everything your mother says about you. And also, what if you murdered her? She's Mira Georgioing. Yeah, yeah. She's doing her best, but murder is never off the table. <laughs> murder is never off the table. Yeah. Cool. Mm. Thank you for listening to Antimatterpod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.com, including links to our social media and credits for our theme music. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, and Instagram, all at Antimatterpod, and on Mastodon at antimatterpod.tenforward.social. We are not yet on Blue Skies or Threads. If you like us, leave a review wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. And join us next week when we will be discussing the next episode of Strange New World Season 3, Lost in Translation.